Thank you, everybody, for joining us again on the PCICS podcast, the go-to podcast for pediatric cardiac critical care, and the official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. We have another edition today of News Talk, where we talk about topical topics in pediatric cardiac critical care. And today's episode is about financial planning in uncertain times for healthcare providers. We have our special guest today, um, Chris Fandora, who we will have introduce himself in a moment. But before we get started, we just want to remind everybody that the opinions of our hosts and our guests are our own and not those of PCICS or Trap Hagen. And everything that Chris talks about today is not um, officially constituted as financial advice. So with that, we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, I'm David Warho. I'm a cardiac intensivist at UC San Diego and Rady Children's Hospital. Um, our co-hosts today on News Talk are Sadie Rodriguez. Hi, I'm Sadie Rodriguez. I'm a pediatric cardiac intensivist at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta with Emory University. And Jill Sender. Hi, I'm Jill Zender. I'm a nurse practitioner in the cardiac ICU at Children's Health uh, UT Southwestern in Dallas, Texas. And our special guest, Chris Fandora, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Chris Fandora. I'm an advisor and the director of retirement planning for Trapagan CPAs and Wealth Advisors. We are a fiduciary firm, which means that we take legal responsibility to act in the best interest of the individuals and families that we partner with. And we have three essentially core competencies within our firm. That is accounting, where we have about 15 CPAs that do over 3,000 returns per year, personal and corporate. We have our wealth management and financial planning team, where we've been entrusted with over a billion dollars to uh, steward for these individuals and families, as well as our estate planning team, where we do wills, trusts, uh, power of attorneys, and then all of the fun acronyms like CRATS, CRUTS, GRATS, ILETS, and SLATS. So all of those things. And we're about a 35-person team supporting, again, these individuals and families throughout the country. Well, thank you, Chris, for joining us. And I have no idea what any of those acronyms Um, (laughs) I don't think we're going to talk about all that stuff today, but um, my first question for you is, can you please explain um, to our listeners the financial situation in the world right now and why we all need to be aware of what's going on and how you're guiding people during this time? I think there's two aspects to this. One is what are we seeing, what are we experiencing in the markets and in the economy, both domestically and geopolitically? And then what can we do to kind of plan accordingly going forward? So I'll, I'll try to keep this brief in terms of what's occurring now and why. But essentially, we're in a position as a country, and this is really across every country, where there is a record high inflation rate. Okay, so right now it's about 8.1% in the United States. And we've all kind of experienced that in different capacities, right? If we tried to buy a car in the last couple of years, you had to wait six months or used cars were the price of new cars. If you did construction on your house, it was difficult to get supplies uh, or labor, housing market. You've seen all of these prices, food prices, gas prices, kind of have this inflation factor over uh, this period of time, particularly the last couple of years. And so what happens is when you have 
high inflation, that has to get mitigated. You can't allow that to just continue. Otherwise, it can get embedded in the economy, which is, which is a challenge. And so there are essentially two levers, right, fundamentally, on how you can bring down inflation, how we can bring prices down to what we feel like is more normal. And so one of those is having more supply, right? If we had more cars, if we had more chips, if we had more materials, then that would reduce these prices. However, in the United States, we are more of an import economy. We are a consumer-based economy. And so we don't really have complete control over supply, right? We work with other countries, we have trading partners, that kind of leads to inflation being sticky at these elevated levels. The other part is we can reduce demand. And that's where if you see a lot of headlines and the media talking about the Federal Reserve and Jerome Powell, that is essentially in the area of their control, where they have been raising rates, okay, which is called the Fed's fund, the Fed's fund rate. They've been raising rates which in turn has banks kind of raise their rates on different products. So if you've seen, which I'm sure everyone has, that mortgage rates within the last 52 weeks, you could have gotten a 30-year mortgage for under 3%, and now it's closer to 7%, right? So as they have been raising those rates, you see that kind of butterfly effect elsewhere. And like I said, in mortgages, in companies wanting to borrow money, see either hire more people or expand, you have that elevation. And so what that does is that starts to bring down demand. Right? We have less incentive, we're less incentivized to go buy a new house or to move or for companies to uh, potentially expand their business. And so if you start to see a little bit of a contraction in that demand function in order to bring down inflation. If you can't do it on the supply side, you try to do it on the demand side. There's a lot more to that. You know, there's ge- geopolitical dynamics, there's a war. There's energy crisis in different countries. So there are a lot of inputs to that. Um, But fundamentally, that's maybe the biggest driver in the markets and what people are experiencing when they look at their 401k or 403b or or investments. So that's kind of an, an overview of what's causing this volatility this year. And so how do we plan accordingly? A lot of the times uh, I'll hear kind of people take like a historic approach, right? They, they look and they say, okay, well, markets over these different time periods have done well. You can look at over any time period. If you look at from 2004 uh, to 2015 as an example, where we had 2008 and we had war and we had a lot of these different events that occurred, the stock market over that time period averaged over 9% per year. Right. If we look at the worst 30 year period in the history of markets, which was before the Great Depression and the subsequent years, the market averaged over 8% a year. So, a lot of the times I'll hear that historical context. People look at that and they say, okay, I should stay the course. I should keep doing what I'm doing. And really, what happens is there's a little bit of a disconnect. Right. That analysis of saying, okay, stay the course, um, it's true when you're talking about that in relation to going to cash. Right? So I think a lot of people feel this discomfort with, with what's going on and they want to do something about it. And sometimes that, that may feel like going to cash or selling your positions or something along those lines. That kind of historical context is more for that part of that conversation. Right? To be invested for the long term has outperformed holding funds in cash. 
the thing about that where there's a disconnect is that doesn't mean that we can't do something today. It doesn't mean that we just have to leave things the way that they are. We can be thoughtful. We can make adjustments. We should be asking questions and have the freedom and comfortability to do that. Really, what I see a lot when people look at their investments is they they look at the percentage of how they're invested and they think that that is risk, right? So you hear a lot of the times, I'm in a 60-40 portfolio or a 70-30 portfolio. And that's taken to mean, well, I'm, if I'm 60-40, I'm, I'm balanced or I'm more conservative. But that's not necessarily true. Percentages don't necessarily mean risk. And people are experiencing that this year. So a, a balanced portfolio that has that 60-40 dynamic, if you just have like an index of stocks and an index of bonds, like a mutual fund or a target date fund, something like that, they're down 20% this year. Right, which is the lowest that has been registered since 1937. So, so clearly, percentage and risk are not completely correlated. So we have to kind of look at that and say, okay, well, how do I actually figure out what is my risk? Am I taking the right amount of risk? And there are ways to do that. We we look at what's called beta. It's it's the relation of an investment or the or the movement, the volatility of investment relative to a market or an index, right? So if you think about how does this investment move relative to the S&P 500, that's how you can start to kind of frame risk. So risk can be quantified, risk can be controlled, and then that will result in changing those percentages over time. And that yields a better result over time. And it also gives more insight into, okay, why are we doing the things that we're doing? And how do we navigate through this season and, and seasons to come? We call that a dynamic approach, right? Where we're, we're not just saying, let's rebalance to these percentages. We're saying, let's look at the risk and say, do bonds look more attractive or alternatives or equities? Uh, and, and kind of taking that as, as part of the overall approach. Thanks. I mean, that's a lot. And I feel like uh, <laughs> totally unprepared to uh, face a financial crisis. <laughs> I think Sadie, you had the next question. Um, thank you, Chris, for that all of that background and that explanation. I think that for someone who doesn't do this or know much about finances, it was really interesting to hear your concept about beta and really trying to put that into con context of things. So that was um really interesting. Thank you for sharing your expertise. I wanted to ask you on a more practical sense, like how are you actually guiding people through this time? What does that look like? It's a lot of conversation, right? I think what can generate a lot of um, anxiety or concern or fear when we have this, these kind of seasons of unknown or these seasons of volatility is not understanding why are we doing what we're doing. So I think the more that there's communication and there's the, the freedom to ask questions, um, that leads to a better understanding and overall better results because it allows us to kind of remain steadfast, right? We kind of stay the course when we understand what is the course that we're actually on. With that, it does come back to having a financial plan. So I think a lot of the times when we when we think about financial planning, sometimes we don't know what that means, or we think maybe we're too young to have a financial plan, or we think that, and on the other case, we think that we're further along in our career and, and it's not going to be useful. So I think there's a misunderstanding to what a financial plan is and does. 
But when we have that, it sets that trajectory. And now the investments are a part of that trajectory. So it's reframing where do investments fall within the broader picture. So usually when we talk about that, right, the way that I kind of walk people through is the first thing I want to look at is taxes. Because if I can prepare well on the tax side, that could be saving me 30 to up to 50% in tax, depending on what state I live in, right? So right there, if I'm doing that well, I know that I'm 30, 40, 50% ahead of the game. That tax is going to lead into structure. What type of account should we even be utilizing and implementing? And what strategies for myself or maybe a spouse or our children, whether it's retirement or non-retirement, all of that, that structure is going to be created. And then that will ultimately lead to strategy. So a lot of the times we think about strategy first and then those things secondary. So I think there's a lot of education and conversations around having that proper structure. Now we know that we've taken care of taxes, we've taken care of structure. Now we're in the appropriate strategy. And then looking at that, you know, like for us, we have been big proponents of using alternatives. And we've done that for over a decade. And so a lot of people, when they invest, it's either I'm stocks, bonds, or cash. Uh, and so from our perspective, we say, well, we could be stocks, bonds, cash, or alternatives. And again, it goes back to understanding that everything has its own set of risks. And you can couple things together so that I have an income or a total return that I need uh, while mitigating that risk. So a lot of conversations and, and a lot of reviewing of, of planning, certainly. So understanding all of this and making sure we're doing the right thing kind of sounds like a full-time job in itself. So what is the best way for a healthcare provider to um, be financially prepared for uncertain times? So I, I think that that analogy is actually very um, applicable, right, of, of it being a full-time job because it is, right? And so the way that I think about it for everyone and especially, you know, healthcare providers is that we are we essentially every person has their own board of directors right just like a ceo of a company would have a board of directors we all have that as well so it's people that we go to to ask questions to have frank conversations that we trust their guidance and counsel in all different areas so that might be a family member it might be a mentor it might be your accountant it, it, it could be a multitude of people but as a healthcare provider Right, your time is very limited and your schedule can be fluctuating. You can be working evenings, you can be working mornings, you can be on, you can be off, you're doing research. So our time is variable and it's, and it's constrained. And so I think as a healthcare provider, if we want to be financially prepared for uncertain times and really for the future, we need to kind of develop that board. And we need to think about who do I have on that board today and who do I need to place? And then that's going to lead to us having, again, these conversations and asking these questions so that that appropriate person has a seat at the table, right? Someone that we trust to give us thoughts the, as individuals, right? We are the center, right? We're the, we're the focal point or to use like a sports analogy, we end up being the quarterback. We have to tell our accountant what we want to do, then tell our investment person what we want to do, then talk to an estate planner. They don't talk to each other. So there's sort of this expectation that we are going to know what everyone has to do and then lead them accordingly. 
And it's an unrealistic expectation. Right? It's not a fair expectation because we're not going to be reading the tax code in ERISA and looking at what our state tax structure is going to be. Right. And, and if we do, we don't even have necessarily enough time to do that well. So the idea is, right, to continue that analogy, we should be moving in more of like a, we're the general manager now. And there are people involved who are then bringing these ideas and these things that we need to be looking at and executing so that we're looking at it, we're understanding it, and we're making a decision on how to move forward. Right. So we need guidance on how to structure tax as well, or how to do our estate plan, or how our investments should be structured. To give like an analogy to it or a story. So I'm married and I have two little girls. Before we had our first daughter, we had to go buy a stroller, which was like a ceremonious event, right? To go buy the first stroller. So we go into the store and I have no idea, right? This is, I'm completely out of my depth here. And clearly the person in that section of the store knew that I was just completely out of, out of my, uh, my wits here. So I'm standing there. They come up to me and they say, oh, can I help you with anything? And I said, yes, I need to buy a stroller. I'm thinking about this one. And then all of a sudden, the person's saying, well, those tires are nice, but what about these off-road or all-wheel tires? And I was like, wow, that sounds pretty good, all-wheel tires for the, for the stroller. And then they're thinking, well, these handlebars are leather. Uh, that might be better as well. And then before I knew it, I was buying attachments for a second child, and I didn't even have my first one yet. So... Right. It's kind of like a funny story and analogy, although it's unfortunately true. But but basically, in that moment, I needed someone who could kind of say, hey, I've already been here. Uh, you don't need the Corinthian leather handlebars. Right. You're going to be fine. Just get this stroller, do this. Here's what you need to do. Right. Kind of give you that insight and guidance and counsel on how to navigate these kind of different seasons of life. Right. And, and that, in a, in a more serious note, we have this all the time. How should I be buying this house? How should it be financed? How should my investments be structured? Uh, I don't have an estate plan. How should that be done? I have children from a previous relationship or I'm in a second marriage or how does that all correlate? These are very weighty questions and, and situations that we naturally find ourselves in. We need to have those people who can kind of speak into that. So that stroller analogy was great because you know it is difficult to kind of conceptualize this as a person who is financially illiterate. Um, so talk to us a little bit about this team of people and what actually is a financial plan really and and how how does this look like in practice? Yeah, so with a financial plan, what we're doing here is we're we're really fundamentally looking at okay, where are we today? Where do we want to get to? And then what are the actionable steps that we're taking to get there? So a lot of the times I'll, I'll see someone who says, okay, I had a financial plan done. And it's really just like a projection of cash flows, right? It's saying, okay, here's my income, here's my expenses, and here's how it looks over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. That's not a financial plan. That's an element, but that's not a financial plan. So when we're creating a financial plan, what we want to look at is kind of the core elements, right? So anyone who's like a, a CFP, a certified financial planner, what they're going to look at is these core elements of our financial plan. So we're going to be looking at what does our tax position look like now? We should be reviewing the tax return. What does our, the titling of our assets or our estate plan look now? And that's going to be specific to where we live. Uh, what's our insurance? 
whether that's life insurance, disability, homeowners, all of those things come into play. And then it's looking at investments and cash flow and, and things of that of that nature. So in a financial plan, these are kind of the quantitative aspects, but there's also a qualitative dynamic to it. So a lot of the times I think what's overwhelming for people is you have these kind of open-ended questions of, well, when do you want to retire? But we don't really know what retirement means. That, that, that definition could mean something different to everybody when they want to retire and what actually retirement looks like for them. Um, or people will say, well, I, you know, I want to be successful. But that definition of success looks completely different to everyone. So in a financial plan, it's really asking these questions, looking through this to say, okay, my desire is, you know, like for example, we've worked with a group of um, ER doctors and for them, they're saying, I'm going to do this until I'm 55 and then I can't, I can't be in the ER. I don't have that desire to be in the ER anymore. I need to do something else, right? So in the plan, we're saying, okay, we're going to utilize this time that we have until say 55. And then at this point, here's going to be this change that we're, that we're looking at. Are we going to move into a different area or are we going to look at something else? And so we start to kind of create these milestones or these different things that we want to reach. And then we're looking and we're saying, okay, now how do we do that? So practically speaking, it's gathering these documents together. And then your financial planning team is going to review all of those give you this financial plan that's quantitative, right? To making sure that we're doing all the things we should be doing. And then there's that, that qualitative aspect. There's recommendations of how we should be doing things. So like if we give an example, okay, I have children. How am I contributing for their college? Should I be doing that in a 529 plan? Or should I be doing that in a UTMA or a custodial Roth? But like these things we know. And it's our job to kind of bring them to you and say, here's what we think you should be doing, right? And then kind of laying out this, this trajectory. So it has to be actionable. That's really what's going to define a financial plan that when it's done, you say, okay, I know what I need to do. Here are the five, six, seven, eight steps that I need to take now. And then it's not a one-time thing. It's something that continues to get reviewed and evolves over time because our seasons and circumstances are always changing. So we want it to be able to adapt. Speaking of changing circumstances and seasons, it seems like there's a lot of thought that goes into the various layers. And I was wondering if you could speak to us a little bit more about how does that change in your experience working with physicians or um, healthcare providers and staff specifically in the various stages of their careers, beginning, middle, towards the end, are there certain things or themes that you see, needs that you see, differences, um, and how do you approach that? There are similarities, uh, certainly throughout time, and there are aspects that are definitely specific to kind of our season in life. So if we think about that kind of early, mid, and, and later, in the early years, that's when we're creating this foundation. So that's going to look like, and this might sound, sound very basic, but how do we actually go through budgeting, right? I've seen people in all different seasons of life and we don't know how to, how to budget well or it feels overwhelming. 
And the reason why that is so important, right, why that's a fundamental and foundational aspect is because if we don't control our income or we don't control our wealth, then somebody else will. And so what that looks like is that if I'm not thinking about what I should be doing and how everything should be structured, our funds go elsewhere. They're going to go to, you know, everything gets auto debit. So I'm paying my mortgage, I'm paying my rent, I'm paying my car, I'm paying my phone. All of these things are coming first. And then it's kind of like our savings and our investing and our planning is an afterthought, right? Typically, or after those expenses. And we want to change that. And we want to say, okay, no, we're going to take the directionality. We're going to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves first before these expenses. And so when we're early in our career, a lot of the times when we're coming out of residency or fellowship, it's a material change, right? In terms of the, of the income and the benefits and things like that. And so that's a great opportunity to, to take advantage of that, right? To really have that kind of foundational plan so that I know I like to make things as systematic as possible. So I know that I'm doing a backdoor Roth for myself and for my spouse, right? Every month I'm making that contribution automatically. If I have children, I'm making that contribution to save their 529 plan every month. Uh, if I have my 401k plan, I'm taking advantage of that and looking at should it be pre-tax or Roth. Um, that budget is going to then pour into those areas of how we're funding those different vehicles. And then we need to make sure we have, do I have a will, right? I think a lot of the times we don't think about that. And more people don't have a will than you would imagine because we just don't ask, it just doesn't come up naturally, right? A lot of the times somebody has to kind of bring that up or we, or we see or experience something. So do I have a, my will? Let's get that done. My, my living will or power of attorney. Um, let's get all of those things kind of squared away. And then let's look at these other aspects. Let's, let's make it kind of bite-sized. So we're taking care of these elements. We're looking at, okay, do I have the life insurance that I need at this season? Um, what type? Right? A lot of the times you'll, you'll get approached and people want you to buy whole life or they'll want you to buy... Uh, variable universal or term. We have to be comfortable asking questions on what that means. Because I think a lot of the times, especially for medical professionals, you've gone through so much schooling and education and people don't necessarily know what you know. So they, they trust you and they rely on your wisdom and knowledge, which makes a lot of sense. But there's this interesting view that as a medical professional, then you know everything about everything. And so it creates kind of like a hesitation to ask questions, right? Or, or that freedom to do that and explore those areas. So we have to ask questions on, on what these different things are uh, so that, again, we control our income, we control our wealth, and we lead it. So that's kind of early career at, at I would say, a higher level. And then as we get to, you know, mid-career, you put it that way, it's, it's really about optimization, Am I taking advantage of the different things that are available to me? So naturally, uh, things will change. The tax code changes, has changed multiple times over the last couple of years. Interest rates will change, uh, and they have, right? So am I buying a house? Am I doing construction on that house? Am I, should I be buying a second home? Should I be investing in real estate? It's optimizing not just one aspect of our overall 
net worth. Everything impacts us, right? Uh, does my spouse, right? If I'm married, does my spouse have a business? How does that impact me? Am I doing planning for that? Uh, there are so many different strategies that are available that we first created the foundation. Then we're optimizing that and looking at kind of all these strategies that are like tools in the toolbox, which we can talk about some of them. And then later on, okay, as, as let's say I'm nearing retirement or semi-retirement or whatever that might look like, now I'm, I'm preparing myself to take action, right? I need to make sure that the work that I've done over the years is now going to take effect. And we're going to kind of realize the fruit of our labor here. So is it structured well? When are we going to take that action, utilize that? So every season has its uh, unique kind of elements that have to be considered. But fundamentally, it's always reviewing the financial plan. Early, mid, later, it's always reviewing how your portfolio is structured and making sure that that's wise for the time that we're in and for our future plans. Uh, it may mean changing certain documents, right? Maybe we have to get more life insurance or disability policy, or maybe we don't need certain things. That's going to happen and that's going to kind of come with the territory. So I think that's kind of an overview on maybe some of those different areas. Now's a great time to thank our episode sponsors, Traphagen CPAs and Wealth Advisors. Traphagen is a comprehensive financial services firm comprised of accounting, tax, and wealth management serving individuals and families throughout the country. For over 50 years, Traphagen CPAs and Wealth Advisors has served as a dynamic leader and provider of financial services. Unlike traditional financial advisory firms, Traphagen specializes in taxation, financial reporting, and consulting services, including financing and M&A. Their wealth management team manages client investment assets and provides comprehensive estate, tax, and financial planning services. As certified public accountants and registered investment advisors, they are uniquely positioned to be your trusted financial advisors. Traphagen's fiduciary team combines the value of their individual credentials to achieve a comprehensive view of your business and personal goals. We'd like to thank Traphagen for sponsoring this episode and for being an industry supporter of PCICS. Chris, this has all been such a great overview. Um, so much that I didn't know, um, still don't know, and probably a lot that I don't understand. Um, but you've talked a lot about understanding tax codes and making sure that you're getting yourself up set up for um, it, the best situation from a tax standpoint. Um, and that has me thinking about my personal situation. Um, my current tax advisor is uh, TurboTax. Um, so I was wondering if you had thoughts on that, if that's adequate, how you would maybe potentially advise someone in that circumstance? Sure. So I, th I think platforms like uh, TurboTax or Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab, you know, as, as you kind of get started, right, it's typically like our first entry point. Right? We're, we're starting to do our taxes and so we do TurboTax and we start putting in our W-2s and, and things like that. Or, or we want to open up a Roth IRA and you open up at Vanguard or one of those places and we start to contribute. I think that's all wonderful, right? Those, those companies, those areas serve a purpose, okay? And they serve a large uh, group of people. I, I will say that to kind of give, you know, another uh, <laughs> lighthearted example, I don't go to my pediatrician anymore, right? I could 
they're certainly knowledgeable. They could run my blood work. They could check my ears, nose, and throat, my reflexes, my breathing, heart rate, uh, run some tests, capable of doing all of those things. But as I have gotten older, there is a different level of specificity that I need. My, my needs have evolved. And so I need a different set of doctors and maybe specialize in certain areas. And so I kind of think of that as like an analogy where, you know, those platforms are good and they're benefit, they're beneficial and they're and they're foundational. But over time, our needs change and life gets more complex naturally. And so as that occurs, we need to look deeper with a, a deeper level of specificity in these different areas. Because what happens is they're all very connected. And that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier, that our taxes are connected to our investments, right? And I think a lot of times people will say, well, you know, I just have a W-2 or, or my spouse and I, we just have W-2s. We can, we can do it on TurboTax and, and that should be fine. But if we look at that, right, the way that someone's investments are structured could materially affect how their taxes are completed and what their tax obligation is. If I have mutual funds that generate uh, capital gains, right, or short-term capital gains at the end of the year, that goes to my tax return and I have to pay tax. If I have ordinary dividends rather than qualified dividends, that's going to result in me paying a higher level of tax. If I sell something at a time where I'm realizing a short-term gain rather than long-term, all of these dynamics come into play, even if I'm on a W-2 basis, right, for my income, uh, that require more planning, right, in a deeper level. And, and there's so many uh, avenues to consider. And another thing, too, right, so I think a lot of the times if someone looks at, like, a Roth IRA, they'll want to contribute because the Roth IRA is an amazing vehicle. We can contribute with after-tax money, so think money that's in the bank. It gets invested and it grows tax-free for life. It's a great wealth transfer tool because it can go to my children and it grows tax-free for another 10 years. However, if my income is above a limitation, right, which is about 200000 a lot of people will say, well, you can't do it. You can't contribute to a Roth IRA anymore. But there are other avenues to do that. There's something called a backdoor Roth. That's a strategy. Uh, there are these different things that can kind of give, it, give us these avenues to again, optimize our overall position. So to answer your question directly, I think they're great platforms. I think they certainly serve a purpose and a need, but it's that our needs evolve over time and require more attention. I could get my estate documents off of LegalZoom, but it may not meet all of the unique characteristics of my family, my dynamics, my planning. That was a great explanation and analogy. Thank you. So um, when I hear the words estate planning, I think of really rich people, <laughs> which I don't put myself in anywhere near that category, like people with millions of dollars. Um, but tell us a little bit about, you know, does everybody need an estate plan? And when is it, you know, too early or too late to start thinking about that? And actually, what, what does that actually mean? Yeah, and, and that's so common. A lot of the times when you hear about estate planning, it's around the estate tax exemption, right? So what that means is that if I'm a single person, I could have a little over $12 million in my estate and I don't pay 
tax upon my passive. My beneficiaries can inherit that, um, depending on what type of beneficiary. <laughs> Already getting granular, but depending on what type of beneficiary can inherit that without tax. If I'm married, that's 24 million, uh, a little over 24 million that my my heirs can inherit without tax. That is a very material number. That is a fraction of a percent of people in the United States. So to answer your question, there is more to estate planning than the exemption. Okay, because what happens is when I have a will, it is directing a lot of my my assets, my net worth. So if I have a real estate property, that might be directed through my will on who receives that asset. Uh, so I'll give you a personal example. Like I said earlier, I'm married, I have two children. If something were to happen to my wife and I, in the will, it specifies who would take care of my children. We also have a feature called a minor's trust. So if my children are still minors, this trust would spring into existence, would receive our assets, and then we have someone who's a trustee who would oversee that so that our children receive those funds at an appropriate time, that they're well cared for, but they're not 15 years old receiving these funds outright. And I want to ensure that my girls uh, reach certain milestones appropriately. Then there's other dynamics that I mentioned earlier, right? If I have children from a previous relationship or a previous marriage, if I don't do proper planning, I could disinherit them. They could receive nothing potentially, right? So these things are very, very important. If I have a business or my spouse has a business, uh, how is that going to be taken care of? How is that going to kind of last or transition? And then even at the most basic level, there are certain states that you may live in where there is a high probate cost. So if I pass away, right, and I have assets in my personal name, I have to go through the court system to have those assets then go to my spouse or to my children or to whomever my beneficiaries are. In that case, right, I may want to have something as simple as I have a revocable trust or a living trust. Like if I live in the state of Florida, I should have a revocable, also known as a living trust or something to that effect in line, in place, right? So my bank accounts are in that title. My home is in that title. All of these kind of go into our day-to-day life. So it is not just about this, this really large number, but it's kind of setting the trajectory for how we want these different elements of our, of our life to be handled. Um, while we're living and and upon our passing as well. Thank you. I think that's so helpful to hear your perspective. I was wondering if we could maybe end the episode with you sharing with us what you think is like the one best thing you can do for yourself or the one worst thing you can do for yourself. Sure. So I'll start with what would be something that would be on the worst aspect of it. And I think it's really common is we do nothing. Time passes. We don't take action because either we're busy or it just feels overwhelming or we don't know who to talk to or what questions to ask or what's appropriate. So we just let time go. That is maybe the biggest attractor for people and and their financial planning. Um, Financial planning can be really a gratifying process. Because you're kind of tracking these different elements and and you're kind of checking the boxes on these different things that we're supposed to be doing and and that's wise for us. And and so it can be a really great experience 
but I think a lot of the times we don't even know where to start. And so we just don't start. Uh, or we have started maybe in certain areas. Like I said earlier, we set up that Roth account at XYZ custodian and we just left it there as that. So I would say do not hesitate to ask questions. It doesn't matter if you've been working for 40 years or if you're just getting started. You have to have the ability uh, to go ask those questions on what things mean. A lot of the times, again, that's part of taking control of our, our wealth and our income. Because what will happen is then you will get approached, and we've all, this is, we've all had this experience, right? We've been approached to go buy something. We don't really know exactly what it is, but we're told that we should do it. So is that really in my best interest? We want to be proactive so that we're not kind of in this position where we're saying, okay, well, that, that sounds okay. Let, let's go in that direction. Uh, and I see that a lot with like annuities, if that's appropriate, different types of life insurance, if that's appropriate, you know, those premiums, if they're appropriate. So I would say that can be a detriment, but it's easily avoidable. Again, creating a board, putting people on there that we trust, that we are comfortable talking to, and that can actually give us good guidance and counsel. The best thing that we can do is to, well, one, I would say is first start with making the financial plan and then continue to stay with that plan, right? Continue to track it and update it over time. But I would say that's a fundamental thing. We should have a financial plan. Again, whether I have been in the field and the profession for 40 years or I'm just getting started, we should have a financial plan that will evolve over time. But I can't know where I'm going if I don't specify what that goal is or understand where I am today, right? If I don't lay out those actionable steps, the real things that I need to do, I'm not going to have that trajectory. Um, and I look and I, and I see, you know, so many people that have this amazing potential to really kind of accomplish all of these goals and objectives that we, that we want, that we set out for ourselves. Uh, and it just takes that fundamental first step. So, a good financial plan, you will know one when you have one because it's giving you those actionable steps and it is not just a cash flow projection. Uh, it is not something that's just kind of generic or open-ended. It's very concrete. So I would say that's the best thing is get started on a financial plan because it will cover all of these different aspects. And then on the other side of that is, is not taking action or hesitating to take that action. Thank you, Chris, for that call to action. And thank you for, you know, being willing to talk to us on the podcast. You definitely opened a lot of Pandora's boxes. And I think it'll be great to have you back in the future to ask, answer more specific questions. And if our listeners want to email us questions, um, we can definitely add those to the list to bring to you next time. So thank you for taking the time to be a resource for us and for PCICS and for our listeners. Thank you. And, and we really appreciate our, our partnership with the society. Um, it's important to us and we're really happy to be a resource. So as those questions arise, uh, or people need guidance and counsel, we're, we're certainly here to help. So please do not hesitate. Um, and, and we appreciate you know the opportunity here. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the PCICS podcast, the official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society and the go-to podcast for pediatric cardiac critical care. 
please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or uh, just go to our website, PCICS.org, to get more information about Trap Hagen or about all the resources available to our members, including job listings, educational opportunities, and much more. The song I Don't Know By Grapes was used under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license.